you're tuned in to the 2017 candidates debate for Oak Bay Gordon Head on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. This event was held on traditional Coast Salish territory of the Songhees and Wasanich people. Good evening, everyone. I would like to welcome you all to the University of Victoria Student Society's 2017 debate for the riding of Oak Bay Gordon Head. I'm your host, Adam Sterling. Some of you may recognize me from CFAX Radio. I was happy to come to the university this evening and help out my good friends at the University of Victoria Student Society as they put on this debate. Uh, everybody, thank you for coming this evening. I know uh, sometimes it's hard to get out to debates like these, but it's very important that we all take part in democracy. I know there was some rain earlier, but I see many people have managed to brave the weather and show up here nonetheless. So for starters, let's everybody give themselves a big hand. I would like to begin this evening with the recognition that this event is taking place on the unceded traditional territories of the Wasanic, the Lekwungen, and the Wyoming peoples. Joining us this evening are candidates from the three provincial parties who will be hoping to represent this riding of Opie Gordon Head in the BC legislature after the election in May. I would like to, to uh, th take the opportunity to thank and to welcome first Andrew Weaver, leader of the BC Green Party, incumbent member for the riding. Welcome, sir. Next, I'd like to welcome Bryce Cassavet, NDP candidate for the riding. Welcome. <laughs> and finally, a big welcome to Alex Dutton, representing the BC Liberal Party. Thank you for coming. We will begin this debate by offering each of the candidates an uninterrupted five-minute segment in which they will introduce themselves and speak to why they feel they would be the best choice for voters in this riding. The order of responses has been selected via a random draw. After the introductions have been concluded, we will then move on to a focused questioning portion of the debate. The questions that our candidates will answer this evening were written collaboratively by members of the University of Victoria Student Society. These questions have been grouped into three broad categories. Those categories are number one, post-secondary education, number two, jobs in the economy, and number three, social services. Each of these three segments will begin with a general question put to all three candidates in a random order. They will each be given three minutes to respond. Then we will move to what we call cyclical debate, controlled debate. That consists of three questions, focused questions, put randomly to a candidate with another candidate randomly assigned a chance to respond. The initial response time will be two minutes. The rebuttal time will be capped at 90 seconds. Now, in the interests of fair debate and in the interests of discouraging personal attacks against any of the candidates or any of the parties, I, as the moderator, in my judgment, uh, can reserve the opportunity to grant an extra 60-second rebuttal for anybody who might need to respond directly to anything that has been said about them. For example, if, say, the NDP candidate is talking with the Green candidate and the BC Liberal Party or the BC Liberal candidate is mentioned, that would mean that there would be an opportunity generated for Alex Dutton, the Liberal candidate, to respond, just as an example, in the interests of fairness. My job is to politely but firmly 
remind the candidates not to exceed their allotted time. Uh, once each of our three general topics has been exhausted, each candidate will be permitted five minutes to make a closing statement. That order also randomly chosen. Following closing statements, we will use the remainder of our time to take questions from you, the audience. We ask that any questions directed at the candidates be respectful and not exceed 15 seconds in length. If either of those conditions are not met, the question will not be taken, and we will move to the next person in line. Now that we have all that out of the way, I would like to say thank you very much, all of you, for coming here. And without further ado, I would like to introduce the first candidate that we selected before we started this by random appointment, a candidate that will be delivering their introduction first. That is candidate two, Bryce Cassavant. Go ahead, sir. You have five minutes. Well, thank you very much. Hopefully everyone can hear me okay. My name is Bryce. I am running in the riding of Oak Bay Gordon Head for the BC NDP. Some of you may know me as the former BC conservation officer who did, uh, was in the BC media for my decision regarding two bear cubs. For those of you who don't know uh, the other part of my background and story, I served for six years in the Canadian Forces uh, with the military police and I was also attached to an infantry unit uh, overseas. I've served in Afghanistan as well as here abroad in various um, emergency assistance planning roles. Coming back from overseas, I joined the BC Public Service as a conservation officer uh, where I served for two years. And I currently work as a public servant with the Ministry of Forests and I'm on political leave to seek this run for office. I'm here because I believe there is a change needed in this province. I believe that we need to build a better BC for all of our society here. We need a government that works for our people, that has a capacity to care for the citizens in this province. A government that is focused not just on corporations and the wealthy, but on the average citizen. I'm looking for your support and I'm asking for your vote. Thank you. Candidates are not required to take the entire uh, five minutes that they've been allotted. You're welcome to continue, sir. It is your five minutes to use as you see fit. If not, you can relinquish it and we'll, we'll move on to the next person. All right, so we will move on now. A five-minute introduction to our next candidate. It will be Alex Dutton, chosen by Random Draw. Thank you, Adam. Thank you to both my candidates for being here today. My name is Alex Dutton, and I'm proud to be the BC Liberal candidate in Oak Bay Gordon Head. I was born right here in the riding. I was born at Royal Jubilee Hospital, where my father chose to work in a public system for his entire medical career. And it was the same place that we shared the last few laughs with my mother before she passed away from cancer. I grew up right here. I swam, I learned to swim at Oak Bay Rec, I played rugby at Windsor Park, I played community field hockey at UVic. And I remember in 1994, one of the most, at the time, devastating things in my life happened. My sister, my older sister, graduated from high school and told me she couldn't stay in British Columbia because there was nothing available for her here. There were no opportunities. And she left. She moved to Toronto. And she went to school there. And in 1999, I hoped maybe she was going to come back. And no, she again had to tell me that she wasn't coming back to British Columbia, even though she wanted to, because there were no opportunities for her here. 
And that was the beginning of how I became involved in politics. In 2001, I worked on a, the BC Liberal campaign, and I got hired, and I made coffee, and I photocopied, and it was incredible. And I'm proud to say that in 2011, after huge work that's been done by this party, and the huge increase in economic development and jobs, my sister was able to come back to British Columbia. And she was able to come back here because the economy is doing well. And she works in the tech sector. And that is something that we can be extremely proud of. For the last six years, I've been practicing law in Victoria. I've been coaching debating. I've been volunteering in various organizations. I've been training for races. I've been doing hill repeats up Mount Doug. I've been put to shame by some of the senior citizens working out at uh, Gordon Head Rec, who I have to say are an inspiration. And when it came time to look at this election, I became involved again, because I'm increasingly concerned about the polarization, the all or nothing attitude that we see in the debate about environment, the environment and the economy. I grew up as a younger British Columbian, I can still say that, I think, caring about the environment. I helped implement the recycle program at my school. We bugged our parents to turn off the lights. The environment is not something that is foreign to me, and it's not something that is ever far from top of mind. But I've been door knocking since December, and there are a number of people in this community who want to have a conversation about other things in the environment. They too want to protect the environment and they too believe that in order to have a sustainable economy, you need to have a sustainable environment. But they also want to talk about things like healthcare. And they want to know that despite having the best cancer outcomes in Canada, that when their parent needs the system and needs to have the excellent and compassionate care that was provided to my mother, that that system is going to be there for them. And that is only possible with a strong economy. And that is only possible with planning and prudence and responsibility. To make a series of unfunded promises, the question you have to ask yourself is, are you going to pay for it or are you going to make your children pay for it? That is the only question. All of these things we're going to talk about over the next two hours and I'm going to tell you about the record of the BC Liberal government. They're all possible because of a strong and diversified economy. We are now the envy of every province in Canada. I believe that governments should help people reach their potential on their terms, and that to do that in a responsible and strategic way has been what the BC Liberal governments have done. I am proud to be running as the BC Liberal candidate in Oak Bay Gordon Head, and I look forward to speaking with you over the next two hours and over the next 48 days to earn your vote. Thank you, Alex Dutton. Now, five-minute introductory segment to you, Andrew Weaver. Uh, thank you. And thank you to the UPS and the UBSS for hosting the event today. It's so important that we engage our 
our youth in our democratic institutions because frankly uh, it's far too many decisions are being made today that have the best interests of the decision makers first and foremost rather than the next generation who will live the consequences of the decisions being made. So my name is Andrew Weaver. I'm the MLA, the sitting MLA for Oak Bay Gordon Head and the leader of the BC Green Party. My history is that I was born in Victoria, actually in the same Jubilee Hospital as, as my colleague uh, Alex there, but a few years prior to her. Uh, and my, my parents uh, live in Victoria. My father was a professor at the university here. My mother went to the University of Victoria. My sister went to the University of Victoria. I went to the University of Victoria. My daughter is at the University of Victoria. My mother went to the University of Victoria. I met my wife at the University of Victoria. <laughs> And I have been a professor at the University of Victoria since 1992. My wife is also from Victoria, and we came back to Victoria from Montreal, where I was faculty at McGill, because we felt that first and foremost, our top priority was to have a family that grew up in a beautiful province that we were born into and be surrounded by grandparents. And so we've been very, uh, very blessed to have our children grow up in a, in, a, in a loving family environment with both sets of grandparents here. You know... I went to high school in the riding. My daughter went to a different high school in the riding. I graduated from Oak Bay in 1979. My son graduated from a different high school in the riding. I grew up in the Oak Bay part of the riding. I too played rugby at Windsor Park with Oak Bay High and, and, and the University of Victoria after that. And I live now in Gordon Head and have coached soccer there for many, many years. This is my home. This is where I was born. This is where I grew up. This is where my children were born. This is where my wife was born. And this is part of who we are, the riding of Oak Bay, Gordon Head. It has been a distinct honor for the last four years to serve the people of Oak Bay, Gordon Head in the legislature. And I would put my record up against any other MLAs to show that I have worked for you, the people of Oak Bay, Gordon Head, and not only you, but for so many other British Columbians who have felt left out of the political system, who felt they had no voice in the dysfunctional environment that is our legislature, where we have two parties who've literally been fighting the same battles since the early 1990s. In fact, frankly, some of those MLAs have been in the legislature since the 1990s, and it's time for a change. We have a really exciting platform that's being built and being slowly released as the BC Green Party. Today, I had the distinct honor of releasing our new economy platform in Vancouver, where we talked about in, uh, our, our plans to, to engage the tech sector, the biomedical sector, the biotech sector, in a way that actually builds on our strengths. Now, the BC Liberals' approach to the tech sector is to fund those who already have the money, to give $100 million to venture cap firms that may or may not invest in BC. I'm not sure what the BC NDP plan is because they haven't really come out with a strong plan. The BC Green plan is to recognize that innovation starts at the lab bench. Innovation starts in the dorm. And what we announced today is measures to actually incentivize those who have the ideas to build on existing programs that the federal government puts forward, to, to match those programs, to ensure that they have money to bring the knowledge that they're developing to the marketplace. It's been a beginning of a journey for me. If you'd asked me five years ago if I thought I would actually ever end up being an MLA, I would have said to you no. But the reason why I ran five years is that I could no longer look my students in the face at the University of Victoria. I could no longer look to them on the issue of climate change that I taught for many years and say to them when they ask, what can we do? And I would say that there's several things. One is, you know, you use your, your pocketbook to guide the market. And two is get engaged in our democratic institutions. And they would say to me, but all politicians are corrupt. They're all the same. They're in it for themselves. They just want the pensions. And I would say, no, that's not true. And if you don't like who's running, stand up 
as a matter of principle and run yourself. And they would say, no, 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 it's not going to do it. And I'm giving that lecture, actually, again, this week at the University of Victoria in the, in the EOS 365. And it's the same lecture I've given for, for many years. It's a lecture where after enough, I'm giving it enough times, I realize that I need to take a look in the mirror. If I truly want to practice what I preach, I should put my name forward. And I put my name forward for a party that had never elected anyone before in any riding in any province in Canada as a point of principle. And it's been a distinct honour for four years. And I have seen the support of our party surge across the province as we have announced candidate after candidate with exceptional credentials who, like me, are standing up not so much for the political career of politics, but because they want to reclaim our democracy for the people of British Columbia, because first and foremost, we are elected to serve you, the people, not our corporate donors, not our big labor union funders, but the people of British Columbia, and that is not happening in the legislature today. Thank you. In a first example of our rebuttal rule, I did hear the BC Liberal Party mention specifically. Would you like a 60-second chance to rebut to that, Alex, or would you like to respond to those questions in the fullness of the debate? They'll come out in the fullness of debate. Thank you, Adam. Okay, perfect. All right, let's move on to our first topic, post-secondary education. We have a broad question that we will put to all three of our candidates in a random order. We then have targeted questions that we will do afterwards. We begin with a broad question that we will ask to all three candidates. Each will be given three minutes to respond. The first question is, in your opinion, what do you think are the most effective policy measures to make post-secondary education more accessible? Our random draw has candidate three, Alex Dutton, as our first responder to that. You have three minutes. So I absolutely agree that post-secondary education is an essential thing. We know that in the coming years, the two-thirds of the one million new jobs that will be opened by 2025 will require a post-secondary education. In order to keep that education accessible, the BC Liberal government has done things like cap tuition at 2%. It's done things like, most recently, lower the interest rate from prime plus 2.5 to prime. But that's not enough. And I know that as a younger candidate up here, I can speak personally about the accessibility of post-secondary education. And I can tell you that there are more innovative ways that we can go ahead and we can make sure that every student in this province has the access to the more than 22 public colleges and universities that are available. Specifically, from, from the vantage point of developing the economy and making sure that those post-secondary degrees are well-marketed and well-used, we know that investment in specific areas like tech, like math, like engineering, are going to be a priority. But it's also important that we make sure that, that people are able to go and serve all over the province. And that's why programs like the BC Loan Forgiveness that allows physicians and lawyers and other professionals to go out to learn potentially here at UVic and go out and serve their community are also attractive ways to make sure that post-secondary education remains accessible and affordable. Thank you. Same question. Next, we picked randomly. Uh, who did we pick randomly here? It would be Andrew Weaver. Go Thank ahead, you. sir. Uh, three minutes? Uh, three minutes, yes. Thanks. 
there's a, a number of issues facing post-secondary education, uh, education um, in, in this province, and in particular students. First and foremost, the issue of affordability is directly hitting students. Affordability is not so much, uh, not only finding rent, but it's also putting food on your plate. It is simply unacceptable that we have a food bank on campus that is heavily used by students of the University of Victoria. Why is that the case? The, why is that the case is because we've had a track record of this government over the last 17 years of putting their interests ahead of people's interests. You'll hear that this government is good for the economy. What this government is good for is their economy, their donors, their corporate lenders. It is not good for the average person. And the discrepancy between those who have and those who haven't has grown as a direct consequence of the choices made. So what would we do? We announced today $175 million over four years that would be put in to actually bringing, uh, making the issues that I outlined in terms of our new economy more accessible to students. We focused our entire platform on the new economy, on this generation, the generation of millennial students who are entering an economy that is no longer like it used to be for my parents or even for me, where one job, one lifetime, and you would be protected in that union job forever. We're moving into a time when there's more automation, when there's more gig job, jobs, when we're going to be moving from job to job, and students need security. They need security by not, start, by not getting out into the workforce, hampered in the poverty trap of existing debt. How do you do that? Well, you introduce the concept of basic income, a concept which actually ensures that people have the income that they need to actually be, be a proactive in our citizenship. We know that the federal liberals have this as a policy. We know that PEI, Quebec, and Northern European countries are doing, going this direction, and that is the direction the BC Greens will head through the introduction of initially pilot-type studies but merging into uh, more and more as we move forward. The reason we, when we talk about issues facing students, like poverty, like debt, the question we should be asking is not how do we get them into, out of debt, it's why are they in debt in the first place. And that is the approach we take in each and every policy that we put forward is we don't just think about the quick fix. We ask, why are we there in the first place? Bryce Casavant, same question, three minutes. Thanks, Adam. I'd just like to first uh, correct the record here. Uh, the NDP has spoken on the tech sector uh, investment, and I would encourage both my colleagues to uh, review our platform initiatives uh, on that matter. Uh, as far as education, I'm also happy to answer the question uh, of my colleague of how, how we got here and what the problem is. Tuition's out of control. It's too high. Students are paying for it out of their own pockets and incurring debt as a result. We need a properly funded education system. Not, not just for the wealthy that can afford access to a quality education, but for all British Columbians. And I know this because I'm the only one on the panel currently paying for my tuition. So I'm in a doctoral program at Royal Roads, and it is expensive, and it is hard to raise a family. I've been fortunate enough to achieve government employment, uh, graduating out of my master's degree, but unlike many British Columbians who, who aren't um, fortunate enough to get a good-paying job, I, even I still find it difficult to pay these t tuition bills. So we need a government that is looking out for all British Columbians, that is providing affordable education. We know that an educated population contributes to a better economy, a more sustainable economy. And that's what, that's what I'm here. I'm here to help build a better BC that looks out for the people, that works for the people. Thank you.
All right, we now move into the targeted questions and cyclical debate. We have randomly chosen candidate two, Bryce Cassavan, will be the first person to respond to this question. Andrew Weaver, you have been randomly selected to give a rebuttal to what Mr. Cassavan says to say, or what he says. <laughs> I can't even talk. I have one job, and I'm not doing it. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to and, read and the... it's a job in the media, no less. Oh, well, I, I know, right? <laughs> it's, yeah, if only they had a professional up here. Um... <laughs> Okay, enough jokes. I'm just uh, kidding. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, feel, yeah, feel, you just feel lost free to rebut No, I'm just kidding. Um, all right, all right, here's the first question. In 2005, the B.C. government implemented a 2% cap on annual tuition increases. This cap has faced contentious pressure from university administrators who would like to see more flexibility around it, including an increase. Bryce Cassavant, what is your party's stance on the 2% cap and how would you respond to the pressure to change it? You have two minutes, sir. So we have a costed platform uh, that is yet to come out, uh, and this, this issue will most likely be addressed more holistically in that, in that platform that will be coming out shortly after the writ is dropped. But listen, access to affordable education is a problem. Tuition costs currently are a problem, and they're out of control, and it is hard for students to afford the education that is needed to enter the workforce, to come out of the workforce debt-free and be able to raise a family and find affordable housing. So these, these are the issues that I want to advocate for uh, with the party that I represent and that's what I'm looking for. This is what we need to build a better BC. We need affordable education. We need tuition that is reasonable and we need a government that cares enough about our student body and about our economy to take the progressive steps that are needed. Thank you. Andrew Weaver, 90-second rebuttal. Thank you. As we, too, will be outlining in more specific details the actual uh, education platform. Suffice it to say that uh, university administrators would like to put pressure on tuition. As somebody who's worked at a university for, for actually almost 30 years now, uh, there's been a lot of growth in ASP, and actually being the, the union uh, the leader of our union here on campus, um, there's actually growth in university in areas other than its original mandate. And what has happened in universities uh, through the corporatization of the, of the university system is that we've seen a growth of of management and a growth of bureaucracy like never before. Uh, I do not think it is appropriate, and the BC Greens do not think it is appropriate, for students to, burden, to be burdened with the cost of a burgeoning administration that has not got itself under control. This is an, an, a, 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 an approach that we'll, we'll take. It's an approach that will ensure that money is used for where it's supposed to be used, which is education. And so you'll see us actually improve, not only uh, put a, a cap on um, tuition fees, uh, or rather uh, talk about, but talk about access based on needs base. It is incautionable that in a modern society, we have put in place a barrier to education based on your socioeconomic status. That is wrong in a strong, vibrant Western democracy. The BC Greens believe that is wrong, and we'll take steps to ensure that that is dealt with. Thank you. As I mentioned during the introduction, these questions were all written collaboratively by representatives from the University of Victoria Student Society. We didn't know who would be taking who, which question until we randomly drew numbers right before the debate. Our next question reads, in 2012, the BC government launched Canada's first publicly funded open textbook project through the provincially funded agency BC Campus. 
Uh, the question is, what is your party's stance on the program, and how will your government encourage the adoption of open educational resources? We randomly drew Alex Dutton to answer this question about how she feels about the BC Liberal program. She has two minutes to answer and to rebut her will be Bryce Cassavant. Thank you, Adam. The Open Textbook Initiative is an example of the innovation in post-secondary affordability that I was speaking about earlier. This province was the first province to engage in open textbooks, and that has helped 30,000 students save $3.7 million. Now, that's only 170 textbooks, and we're hoping that there can be more. However, our government is also respectful of the independence of professors to choose the materials with which they want to teach, and does not want to overstep that bound. That said, we are very proud that we introduced, uh, that we pursued open textbooks, and we will continue to support post-secondary institutions who want to pursue that. Thank you. Uh, Bryce Cassavant, rebuttal, 90 seconds, sir. It's not enough. Textbooks are not enough. It's a drop in the bucket. Educational resources change with the times and with technology. In my current studies, I need access to a whole host of journals just to pass, not just textbooks. And the cost of those journals is, is what's not being addressed. And it's also one of the leading costs of, of current student debt and high tuition rates. We need a government that is looking at open source access to journals and textbooks, not just textbooks. So textbook, the investment into this textbook initiative is not enough. And I want to advocate for a more holistic approach to providing open access to all the resources that are needed to receive a high quality education that can help people enter the workforce and provide to our economy here in British Columbia. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question will be put to Andrew Weaver with Alex Sutton given a chance to rebut. The question reads, the phased reduction of $50 million in core funding announced in BC Budget 2013 has had a noticeable impact on the ability of colleges and universities to provide services that promote student success and well-being, especially in the area of support for mental health and for sexualized violence. How would your party provide resources and funding for support services for both mental health and sexualized violence? Andrew Weaver, two minutes. Uh, thank you. Well, first off, the reason why every, every post-secondary institution in the province of British Columbia is now required to have a sexualized violence and, policy mis uh, and, and misconduct policy is because of a private member's bill I bought in the legislature last session as a direct consequence. <laughs> thank you. As a direct consequence of both constituents and others in British Columbia raising the issue uh, first and foremost to me. The first step in dealing with that, the very first step of course, is getting administration to recognize that there's a problem. And the reason why historically that's been, been difficult is because all universities want to be branded as safe places for students to go. So the first step is recognition. The second step is, is targeted funding. So how will we do it? The way, the way you would do it is number one, get administration to recognize. I think they are based on that policy. The next thing to do is to get them to prioritize, ultimately, the monies that they get for student service services. And that is also beginning to happen in terms of the policies with respect to sexualized violence and misconduct. We have a long way to go to on mental health. Uh, one of the things that we will be doing as we release our platform is, is putting forward our ideas as to how we can expand mental health services in the province of British Columbia, not only for post-secondary institution, but throughout our society. You know, we'll talk about the fentanyl crisis, but what we're not, we're talking about dealing with the fentanyl crisis. We're reacting. We're not talking about recovery 
and why people got there in the first place. So as you see in our platform as we release it, it will be focused on prevention and recovery and not only focused on the short term. So you'll see a mental health platform released in the days and months, weeks ahead. Thank you. Alex Dutton, 90-second rebuttal. Thank you. As a young woman who uh, has been on campus and dealt with sexualized violence, I can tell you firsthand that every campus should have a policy on sexualized violence, and I applaud Mr. Weaver for his initiative. I further applaud the BC Liberal government for recognizing the independent voice that was raised and adopting that and saying, yes, we do need to require all post-secondary institutions to have a sexualized violence policy by May 20th. I personally would like to go one step further and see that there is a further review about the nature of the education provided in secondary school, in high schools, around consent to make sure that it is contextualized appropriately in an age of digital media and in an age of alcohol and drugs where we see kids experimenting with those earlier and earlier. I think the issue of sexualized violence on campus is, of course, important. I think no one up here is going to suggest that it is appropriate or that supports are currently adequate. But I think the question is broader, and I think the question needs to include that, that secondary piece, that high school-level discussion about consent. And I fundamentally believe that we can fix this problem, and I appreciate Mr. Weaver bringing it to the fore. That concludes our first topic. Thank you, all of our candidates. Moving on, our next section is jobs and the economy. The order in which we have randomly selected the response for our first broad question will be Alex Dutton, Andrew Weaver, Bryce Cassavant. The question is, if elected, what sectors of the economy would your party focus on to drive the creation of viable employment opportunities for recent post-secondary graduates. Once again, all three candidates given three minutes to respond to this, the same question. We begin with Alex Dutton. Thank you. In 2011, the British Columbia government produced the BC Jobs Plan, and its focus was to diversify the economy, including diversifying the different sectors, well-paying sectors, that could provide jobs for post-secondary students. In 2012, prior to Mr. Weaver's election, we introduced the first tech strategy. And the reason that we did that was because we know that tech is going to help us have cleaner energy. It's going to help us do things more efficiently. It is where the future is going. That is not in dispute. Based on the job strategy in 2011, we've, we've seen the diversification of the economy. And based on the tech strategy in 2012, we know that there are more than 100,000 British Columbians that are currently involved in the tech sector. Those initiatives are only part. They are part, and I bring them up as an example, of the strategic long-term leadership that this government's offered. Specifically, we have seen investments and will continue to see investments in aerospace, in the 50 life science centers that have spun off more than 100 companies, in pharmacare, uh, pharmaceutical and medical manufacturing, these are jobs that require, that pay well. These are jobs that mean that we have a diversified economy and that we can go forward to the new economy where we aren't simply, we aren't simply dealing in natural resources. But we cannot mistake the fact that a huge portion of the tech sector does support natural resources and does make them more efficient and make them more useful and more sustainable. These things are diverse. These questions are complex. There is no silver bullet. But I can tell you 
with pride that things like the BC Jobs Plan, where it was clear the goals and clear the outcome, has been achieved. That record is transparent and that strategy was clear. And that is what the BC Liberal government delivered. Andrew Weaver, three minutes. Thank you. Without any doubt, the BC Jobs Plan has been a colossal failure. What you're not being told, what you're not being told, is those jobs are short-term, they're part-time, and they're low-paying. And in addition, the only reason why our economy is strong is not because of any planning by the BC Liberal government. It's because of an out-of-control, real estate, speculative market in Vancouver that led to a windfall that was traveling <laughs> In 2012, I stood alone saying that the LNG dream of the BC Liberals was a pipe dream. I stood alone in the BC legislature voting against the LNG income tax regime, pointing out it was a generational sellout in trying to attract an industry that would not be coming to BC. I stood alone year after year speaking out for the lost opportunities that were happening. I stood alone arguing for investment in the tech sector. I stood, despite what, what you just heard, I stood alone on so many of these issues. I stood alone when wood fiber LNG was put forward by the BC Liberals. And on the same day, the BC NDP put out a press release supporting it. An industry that will give 100 jobs. That each and every one of those jobs is subsidized to the tune of $440,000 a year. Imagine the fiscal recklessness of that approach. 440,000 taxpayers' jobs. Uh, Dollars per job per year supported by both these parties to try to land a pipe dream that's not going to be happening because of a global market oversupply. That's why we outlined our, our plan for the new economy today in Vancouver. And I encourage each and every one of you to go and look at that plan. It's a realistic plan. One of our platform has been put together by some of the best and brightest in British Columbia. The riding of Oak Bay is, a, is an amazing riding to represent. A significant fraction of the civil service lives there, retired there or has moved there from other provinces. And we have put together platform teams that have built a platform, a platform to encourage innovation and creativity that's come from the bottom up through innovation in the civil service sector and the input they've given. And I would challenge each of you to look at it because it will stand up, not like to a soundbite, not to promises of 100,000 jobs, a $1 trillion hit to the GDP, $100 billion prosperity fund, debt-free BC, and yada, yada, yada. This is a platform grounded in evidence, a platform that's grounded in putting people first, and a platform in grounding in setting the stage for innovation and creativity to bring prosperity to British Columbia, not only in the LNG sector, but across a diversity of fields. I'm proud of our plan, and I hope you have a chance to look at it later on bcgreens.ca. Bryce Cassavant, you will get a chance to respond in just a moment. But first, Alex Dutton, would you like to rebut any of the points that were just made about the B.C. Liberal Party? Two specific things, Adam. 60 seconds, please. The Go. first thing is it's important to remember that Statistics Canada indicates that of the 220,000 jobs that have been created in this province, 96% of them are full-time. I'm not sure where Mr. Weaver is getting his facts. The other thing that's really difficult to understand about Mr. Weaver's position is that he just said that the Green platform, which conveniently came out this afternoon, and I have not had an opportunity to specifically compare it to the BC tech strategy, 
He says that his plan is better. It's better than the one produced by government. He has insulted, in fact, the civil servants that he just mentioned in his own speech. And I would say that the civil servants in this province and the ones that live in this constituency were absolutely invaluable in developing the BC tech sector strategy, and that is why it is working. Now this is getting interesting. All right, back, back to the broad question that is on the screen behind you. Um, Bryce Cassavan, thank you for waiting patiently. You, sir, have three minutes now to respond to the broad question. If elected, what sectors of the economy would your party focus on to create a viable employment or invi uh, viable employment opportunities for recent post-secondary graduates? Three minutes. Yeah, and just to, again, uh, take a quick opportunity to correct the record. You know, I think, um, I think the record's fairly clear that we are opposed to the Kinder Morgan pipeline. And we did lead a charge uh, against Enbridge as well in the Enbridge pipeline. So I'm not too sure uh, with respect what pipelines my uh, colleague is referring to. But about LNG. what I can say is that standing alone in the legislature, please, please let, if we standing speak, alone in the you. legislature is not effective representation on these issues. We need a collective voice in the legislature. We need to form a new government, and we need to build a better BC. And to do that, we need a cohesive team in the legislature that can, that can achieve the goals that all British Columbians are looking for, not lone voices. On the subject of jobs, the NDP does have a platform that will be coming out shortly and speaking to fully costed options and job creation throughout this province. But there are a couple areas we are currently focused on. And one of those is getting fair value for our natural resources. When we talk about raw log exports, as an example, we are looking at value-added products here in BC and creating those opportunities for local businesses in our rural communities. Why is it that every four years we have the same conversation about this economy? It's because we don't have a sustainable economy. For 16 years, we haven't had a sustainable economy. We have a boom and bust economy, which is why every four years, we're back at this table having the same conversation about job creation. We need a sustainable economy. And to do that, we need a new government. We need to build a better BC. Climate change is one of the areas this party is focusing on to create jobs. There's a study that suggests with an aggressive climate change plan that focuses on renewable energy, we can create up to 900,000 jobs over the next 40 years. I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but to me that's a big deal because that's the future of my child and probably my grandchildren as well. The tech sector. As I, as I corrected the record earlier, we have released some position statements on the tech sector and what we're looking at and our focus on renewable and green energies and our investment, not into the corporations and the wealthy, but into the people of this province. We need a government that works for this people, that cares for the people. And to do that, we need to form a cohesive team in the legislature. We need an NDP government to build a better BC. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. All right, we now move into the first of our three focus questions for this segment. We have randomly selected the first respondent to be Bryce Cassavant, who will be rebutted by Alex Dutton. The question, BC's minimum wage is currently $10.85 per hour. 
In 2016, the living wage rate, or the wage required to maintain an adequate quality of life in BC's capital region, was calculated at $20.02 per hour. Does your party believe that the minimum wage should be increased to the living wage that I have just outlined to you? Randomly selected, Bryce Cassavant, you are the first respondent. You have two minutes. Go. So the part, of, the part of the platform that has been released has been costed, and it is a $15 an hour minimum wage. We know that right now in BC, we, we know that right now in BC, there's about a half a million people, many of them women, who are living below $15 an hour. So this position that we've taken, which has been costed and is achievable and is one of the first things this government will do when they're elected, we know that this will have an immediate positive impact on the people of this province and that is the position that we've taken currently. This is also contributing to poverty reduction and a sustainable economy. Thank you. Ninety seconds to rebut Alex Dutton. Thank you Adam. And thank you Mr. Casavant. It's an interesting question. The idea of raising the minimum wage to $15 does sound very appealing but it doesn't deal with the consequences. And that's the difficulty that we find ourselves in. Young small businesses and micro businesses aren't necessarily going to be able to afford to pay all of their employees $15 an hour. And those employees will be terminated. We know that Victoria has the lowest unemployment rate across Canada. And we know that low unemployment drives up wages. Instead of artificially manipulating the market, which is the suggestion of my colleague, the steady approach that, was, that has been offered to have an increase in the minimum wage over the next few months, it's going up again uh, in the fall, is something that can support businesses and make sure that they can continue to hire, they can continue to grow. It's also essentially to, uh, excuse me, important to note that less than 5% of British Columbians are earning minimum wage, and 60% of those who are earning minimum wage are between 15 and 24 years old and still live with their parents. We're not suggesting the minimum wage is the be-all and end-all. We want people to move into higher-paying employment. That's why we focused so hard on a strong economy. That's why we focused on the tech sector. That's why we focused on making sure that people can move forward. Currently, the average hourly wage in British Columbia is $25. That is important to remember because, as I said, low unemployment that is your time. drives that wage up. Thank you. All right, random draw. The recipient of this question will be Andrew Weaver. Chance to rebut given to Bryce Cassavant. The question is, the national unemployment rate for youth aged 15 to 24 right now is around 13%, and the unemployment rate is 27%. What government policies or programs would your party introduce to address high youth unemployment and underemployment? Two minutes to respond, Andrew Weaver. <clears throat> Thank you. Again, today, earlier today, we released our uh, new economy platform, and in that you'll see some of the initiatives that we have put forward that would actually uh, bring youth, particularly you know, people in, in colleges and post-secondary education, to match them with employers to allow them to uh, gain skills on the job, because it's difficult for many youth to get employment without uh, past experience to put on their CV to say they have employment. Uh, so that's something that we'll be addressing specifically, and you'll see that in the tune of $175 million over four years. Uh, in addition, it's, it's, there are substantive issues with respect to, to um, underemployment. You know, one of the things we would do immediately 
would be to make sure that when we talk about minimum wage, there is one minimum wage, not multiple minimum wages, not a minimum wage for those who serve alcohol and those who don't, because we all know that there are situations where they may get earn the minimum wage and they don't receive tips. So, that, so it's important to level the playing field. It's important also to recognize that um, that minimum wage, when, the, when, it, was, when it was introduced, the, 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 the tying it to uh, cost of living, I supported that. But I also requested a meet, meeting with ministerial staff to understand why the base level was there and why it was assigned at the number it was. And essentially there was no, re no reason. No reason to say why it was started at the number that it started at. Just like when I met with the BC Federation of Labor and asked them why $15. They had nothing to give it as evidence other than Seattle did it. You know, to me, that's what's the problem with politics. We need to move beyond sound bites. We need to actually ensure that when we introduce policies, we know why we introduce them, not because it's a sound bite, $15 an hour minimum wage or $10 a day childcare, not because it's because we don't really want to do it, so we'll, we'll start the minimum wage at, at a below normal amount and then let it increase with the cost of living but actually by going out and seeing what industry can tolerate, seeing what small businesses can tolerate. And as I mentioned, our strategy is to move towards one of basic income. It's one, to, one where we would encourage those who aren't paying minimum wage, to act, sorry, who are paying minimum wage, to actually that increase is the wage. And you'll see that as we lay out our platform. Thank you. Thank you. Bryce Casavan, you have 90 seconds to respond. How many of you make $25 an hour or more? Well, there, there we go. So we just went out and we figured it out. So this isn't, this isn't some mad scientific experiment. This is reality. This is reality. So this is reality. And this is what we deal with when I go to the doorstep. This is what we deal with when I speak to students. This is what we deal with every day we leave our homes. That is why half a million people or more in this province who are living under $15 an hour currently, and most of the people in this room who are living under 25, or making under $25 an hour right now, understand that increasing the minimum wage to $15 an hour is a positive progressive step in the right direction. It is in our platform, it is costed, it is a promise this party has made, and we can deliver on it when we form government in May. This is how we begin building a better BC for all British Columbians. We've also committed to removing the discrepancy between those who serve alcohol and work in the service industry and those who do not. So it's a minimum wage across the board as well. Thank you. Thank you. Final question. According to random draw, Alex Dutton, you will be the primary recipient. Andrew Weaver will be given a chance to respond. The question simply is, how would your party balance economic growth with environmental sustainability. Alex Dutton, two minutes. So a classic example of how this has happened uh, is the investment in Site C and is the approval of Kinder Morgan. I would, I would encourage our audience to please let her speak. Thank you. I know that these in this room, based on what I've seen, are not going to be popular items. But what I can tell you is that the economy of this province is still intertwined with natural resources. And the no, no, no answers and the no, no, no responses that we're hearing from the other two parties concern me. And they concern me because there's been no answer as to how are you going to replace that revenue? How are you going to replace that revenue that pays for health care, that pays for child care, that pays for the justice system, that pays for education? And we haven't heard an answer. What I have seen is I have seen Premier Clark 
go to Ottawa and say, these are our five conditions. We will fight and we will drive that agenda with the feds and we will protect our coastline and we will also make sure that we have a strong economy. Those two things are not mutually exclusive and it is important that we all engage in a reality, in the reality where that is the case. It is important that we understand that we need both the environment and we need an economy. Thank you. Andrew Weaver, you have 90 seconds to rebut. Well, wow, I know it's tough to defend the indefensible, but the reality is, the reality is, Site C Dam is the biggest waste of taxpayers' money that we have ever seen in the province of My friends in BC who remember the fast ferry scandal, this is fast ferries on steroids. <laughs> Let me tell you, the Site C Dam is going to come in at 13 to 15 cents a kilowatt hour production. Your hydro rates are going to double in the next five years as a direct consequence of this government's irresponsible and reckless attempt to land an LNG industry by signing 30-year long-term agreements to deliver at below market power to LNG companies like Shell, which have packed up and left. And because they have these, these, these contracts on, they have to deliver power that we don't need. If we really wanted power, we have power being sold on the spot market from the Columbia River entitlement at four and a half cents a kilowatt hour. This is all about trying to deliver an irresponsible election promise. And let me talk about Kinder Morgan. I was the only MLA in the province of British Columbia, the only one who took the time to actually act as an intervener. And let me tell you, it was a sham, the NEB process. The Kinder Morgan proposal, and I'll summarize it with this, the entire oil spill response that this government is supposedly saying that we're meeting criteria was predicated on this. 20 hours of sunlight with calm seas and wind blowing offshore. Now, there is not a single latitude, latitude south of Tukta Yaktak that has 20 hours of sunlight. The process was a sham. Sir, the conditions time. were a sham. And the BC Greens have stood since day one on this issue, saying it is a wrong project for BC. I'm exercising my authority to award 60-second rebuttals to each of the other candidates. Alex Dutton, the B.C. Liberal Party, was mentioned first, followed by Bryce Cassavan. Alex Dutton, you have 60 seconds. Go. Two things to mention. Mr. Weaver was in favor of Site C. It is the cleanest energy. He has said this publicly multiple times. He also publicly stated in March of 2015 that the government, the provincial government, looked after the province's interests with respect to Kinder Morgan. His dissatisfaction with the NEB and his love affair with the federal liberals aside... If that's where he wants to spend his time, if that's where he wants to go and change the process, then I'm sorry, we're here to talk about Oak Bay Gordon Head. Bryce Casavan, 60-second rebuttal. I believe this issue is important to Oak Bay Gordon Head and all British Columbians. It's power we don't need with money we don't have. We are going to restore the authority of the BC Utilities Commission, and this project is going back for its review. That is how you show leadership, not by squabbling, not by squabbling, but by showing leadership and restoring the power to the independent authority who should have the right to review these projects on behalf of all British Columbians for all governments to come in the future. And that is what we've committed to, and that is what we're going to do. And this project is going back for a review.
All right, that concludes that topic. We now move on to the third section, which is social services. We begin with a broad question that will be put to all candidates, as it was in the last two sections. The random draw that we have selected this time will be first Andrew Weaver, then Alex Dutton, then Bryce Cassavant. The question is, what do you think is the most pressing social issue in the Oak Bay Gordon Head riding? What would your party do to address this issue? Andrew Weaver, I'll start with you. Three minutes. Without a question, without any question, it is the issue of affordability that has creeped up on us very, very, well, not creeped up, that has hit us like a one-ton truck. It is now very difficult for people to actually afford to stay in their own homes. It's now very difficult for students to find accommodation. I'll say one of the first things that I have done, and, and I know that the government is responding, is one of, the, one, of the, one of the quickest ways of dealing with the affordability issue is to recognize that institutions across British Columbia are desperate to have student housing on their campuses. They want to do it, they have a captive audience, but they're not allowed to actually build the buildings because the government doesn't want to incur debt and have their triple ra a credit rating subject to, to being um, reduced. And I understand that. So the way to move forward on this is to create a third party not-for-profit or other organization that actually owns the debt and that debt is serviced, serviced by the institutions. And in doing so, you can build capacity on university campuses. I'm pretty sure we're going to see the University of Victoria go that route very, very shortly and other universities following thereafter. I'm talking with Capilano University President tomorrow, I think, about the same issue. Being able to build on-campus housing pulls the students out of the one-bedroom suites, the two-bedroom suites, the lower, uh, the affordable housing in the town, which then actually drops the rent for others. That's the single biggest problem, and the single fastest solution is build student housing on our campus. And universities want to do it. The barrier is government and the requirement to actually bring debt on books. Alice Sutton, three, three minutes to respond. Same question. I agree with Mr. Weaver that student housing affordability is absolutely important. The 600 new units that are coming on stream at UVic is a fantastic start. I have to say, though, that I think the most pressing social issue in Oak Bay Gordon Head is not simply housing affordability for students. I think it's housing affordability for everybody. I think that includes families, and I think that includes seniors. I know that I've talked to a number of seniors when I've been door knocking, and they want to know that they are going to be able to age in place. They want to know that they're going to have access to things like the SAFER program that helps, that helps seniors stay in their homes. It's not just about affordability for students, and I know that this is Mr. Weaver's turf. He was a professor here, and we're at a student debate. And I do believe that affordability for students is a priority, but it's not the only priority. Issues of housing affordability affect everybody, and affect everybody in this riding like it does everybody else in this province. And that is something that I think we need to focus on without a single-mindedness that we've just seen from Mr. Weaver. Well, I get a challenge on that one. Well, if you would like to rebut Absolutely. the comment, this is your turf, you may, sir. Well, no, no. So the, the issue of, let me, let me give you an issue of how... 60 seconds, by the way. Right, responded. Yeah. I met with seniors at Monterey, um, Monterey uh, Centre, and in that group they brought to me an issue. The issue was MSP premiums. That was making life unaffordable to them. We've had MSP premiums on the books since the 1960s. Successive governments could have dealt with it. Nobody did. I raised the issue three years ago as a matter of fairness, particularly for seniors who brought it to me. And guess what? It's in the platform of every other party now to deal with it. You want to see how Greens can be effective? We raise issues that others are afraid to raise because they don't want to touch them. It's the wrong thing to charge a one-size-fits-all one, one tax. 
The issue is now a matter of political debate in the upcoming election as a direct consequence of the seniors in Monterey bringing that issue to me, me raising it in the legislature and promising to eliminate MSPs in a BC Green government. Back to the original broad question about the most pressing issue in the riding of Bay Gordon Head. Bryce Casvin, you have three minutes. So I'm not too sure <clears throat> which community my colleagues have been canvassing in, but when I'm on the doorstep, the issue of affordability is mentioned as the most important issue for families. And when we talk about families, we are talking about families within the community of this riding. We also need to talk about the root cause issue of the problem. And it's not just about student housing, but it's addressing and providing more student housing on campuses, but also about why is there that increased need to build new housing on campuses. And one of the things we are experiencing here in this riding right now is fallout from Vancouver as a root cause problem. So where, where the NDP stepped forward to show leadership in this issue is we have announced the Affordable Housing Fund and we have announced that we will close the loopholes that this current government has left open on speculative buying and, and properties. So we are advocating for a tax, a 2% tax on empty houses in the speculative market, as well as closing the loopholes that are currently in existence as dealing with the root cause problem. I'd Thank love you. to have a minute on that. You were mentioned, sir. Thank you. Um, I, um, just a quick, did you say I could have a I said you weren't mentioned, sir. Okay. Unfortunately, okay. That's, uh, those okay. are the rules. You have another minute and a half, Mr. Casavan, if you That's would like good. to take Thank the remainder you. of your time. Thank you. Well, You're good? Okay, we'll move on. Sorry. Take it. I misheard. All right, we will now go to targeted questions. This one actually has already come out in some of the answers to the broad ones, so we'll give our, some candidates a chance to reiterate. Randomly, Andrew Weaver, you will be the first responder to this question. Alex Dutton will be given a chance to rebut. The question reads as follows. In Greater Victoria, a critical shortage of student housing exists on campus and off campus. At the University of Victoria, some 10,000 of 20,000 students apply for just 2,700 on-campus units. This affects not just students, but also has a major impact on access to affordable housing for the entire region. The question, Andrew Weaver, how will your party address the student housing crisis? You have two minutes. Well, I think I, I've already answered that question. Uh, what is needed is not so much a will to build, it's a, an ability to get, a, get access to capital that doesn't register on the provincial books to then, uh, then affect the AAA credit rating, which would affect the servicing of all our debt. So the way to do that is to create a third-party uh, organization, arm, not-for-profit, that actually owns the debt. The debt is serviced for the institutions. The institutions are, are very, very credible uh, and, and have great debt ratings to do so, and that will happen in BC. It's going to happen in UVic shortly. It's going to happen, I hope, in Capilano, Kwantlen, and other universities, and that's something I've been working on for, for, uh, for, for very uh, many months. Uh, uh, so I, I've already answered that. Okay, you can relinquish I would, but seeing as I do have another minute. You've got a minute, 20 seconds. So what says, I want to do is, is raise another issue that, again, the BC Greens in the legislature were the first to raise. When the affordability issue became front and center, I raised that two years before the NDP picked it up as an issue. Two years before. And I pointed out that there was a loophole that was being exploited. It's the so-called bear trust loophole, where properties were being flipped and nobody was knowing what was happening because the, the properties we put in the name of a trust and the ownership, the beneficial ownership of that trust through a corporation was being sold and flipped. That has been changed for foreign owners. That was only changed as a direct consequence 
of the bringing it forward from the BC Greens, single MLA again. And not only that, one of my bills was actually brought forward to in, ensure that in BC, when you buy land, you're, the, the country of ownership of the buyer is actually registered on title. That too was a BC Green bill. The big loophole that needs to be fixed, that should have been fixed, is the loophole that the BC Greens brought to the legislature, the Bear Trust loophole. It's still being exploited for speculative Canadian buyers, but no longer for foreign buyers. That's wrong. It's wrong and it should be fixed. So, so again, coming back to the fact that, that the housing issue, our whole philosophy as a party is to deal with issues before they become problems. Because once they are a problem, the solutions we see are knee-jerk. The re, the, and, and in the issue of Oak Bay... That is your time, sir. Okay. Thank I you. could go on about affordability for quite some time. And Andrew Weaver mentioned the NDP in the Legislative Assembly. Bryce Casavan, I'm giving you 60 seconds to respond on behalf of your party. Go. Yeah, yeah, this is another example of why lone voices in the legislature don't work. We are ready to govern. We are here to form government. <laughs> And we are here to build a better BC. And building a better BC requires a cohesive team and a new government. These are the things that we are moving forward on. The affordable housing fund and closing the loopholes in the property transfer tax. This is how we're going to start fixing this root cause problem to one of our housing crises to address the affordability issue. This is how we're going to start building a better BC that is fair and equitable for all of our society. Thank you. Alex Dutton, you have 90 seconds to respond to the initial question, which was how will your party address the student housing crisis? One of the things that, uh, that I would want to make sure, with, sure of is that we reduce any backlog that currently exists at the municipal level for development and for density. I know this is an uncomfortable topic in Oak Bay Gordon Head, but it needs to be discussed. What are our expectations around density? Do we need, because as we know, the more opportunities there are, the more spaces there are, the price of rent goes down. And that conversation needs to be had. Part of this campus is on Oak Bay, and I know Oak Bay basement suites tends to be a bit of a, a taboo topic. Um, but I think it's, it's important. And I know that since we're apparently allowed to change topics mid-answer <laughs> with time that I have left. For the record, the moderator discourages the changing of topics. However, the it. candidate is allowed to use their time as they see fit. Uh, no, I, I will save it for my rebuttal. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. Uh, let's see. Next question, Bryce Cassavant, you will be the initial recipient. Andrew Weaver will get a chance to offer a rebuttal. Question reads, a homeless count last fall found some 1,400 people, quote-unquote, sleeping rough in parks or elsewhere in Greater Victoria, another 1,800 living on the street. The question, Bryce Cassavant, how would your party address the homelessness situation in Greater Victoria? You have two minutes. The reason why we have these social problems in our society today is because of 16 years of neglect and properly funded social programs. We have seen cut after cut after cut that is leaving people out on the streets. We have seen cuts to mental health and addiction services, to our health services, massive cuts to our public services and our servants who provide this assistance to, other, to our most vulnerable and our citizens in need. Poverty reduction planning is one of the ways that our party is looking at beginning to address this problem. Properly funding our public service, properly funding our health care service, 
providing mental health and addiction services. These are all important to building a fairer, more equitable, a better BC for everyone. And we need an NDP government to do that. We need a government that has a capacity to care for the people of this province. And that's why I'm running. That's why I'm running for the NDP. Thank you. Andrew Weaver, you have 90 seconds for rebuttal. Thank you. Um, so you're looking for an actual answer as to how we would go forward. The first thing that needs to be done is we have to recognize that we are the only province in the country that does not have a poverty reduction strategy. So while a poverty reduction strategy is being built, while we start to implement the rollout of basic income in, in test uh, pilot areas, um, we would develop an, 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 a housing first strategy because the, it makes good sense economically. Look, too much of our thinking in our society is about what should we do today so that we can have a quick win tomorrow. When you do the analysis of housing first strategies, whether it be in Salt Lake City or Denver or other jurisdictions, we know that we save money. Because if you house people, you're, putting, you're reducing pressure on existing social services, on health care services, on justice services, on, poli on like policing services, and the cost benefit is win. But the amortization and the payback is not immediate. It's over a couple of years. That's why we believe, as fundamental to who we are as BC Greens, is that we must think about the long-term consequences of our decisions, and we must put in our decision-making process what's going to affect the next generation as well. We are the first generation in history that our children are not going to be better off than we are. That's shameful, and that's because of decisions being made today in BC and across, the, across Canada that are putting short-term quick-win interests ahead of long-term thinking. Poverty reduction strategy basic income, and the introduction of a housing-first policy, which will save money, not get it. Throwing more money at services that aren't, that is you aren't dealing with the problem. You've got to get it at its source. Put people in homes. Thank you. Alex Dutton, the uh, uh, Bryce Cassavan accused the B.C. Liberal government of making cut after cut after cut. Andrew Weaver also talked about the lack of a poverty reduction strategy. Would you like 60 seconds to rebut those points? Absolutely. Please go. We currently spend $920 million on social housing and housing supports in this province. Can we do more? Absolutely we can. But we need to make sure that we do more in a smart and strategic way. No one is suggesting that people should be homeless. No one is supporting the idea that homelessness is acceptable in a society as fortunate as ours. I can tell you that I am proud of the 570 units that are in Oak Bay, Gordon Head, the more than 2,000 units in Saanich, and the more than 4,000 units in Victoria. Again, can we do more? Yes, but it is incorrect and irresponsible to state that there have been cuts to these programs. Since 2001, there have been 24,000 that have been created of affordable housing. We know that overall the province spends $1.4 billion on mental health and addiction issues. These issues are all very complex. They're not, it's not a matter of simply putting someone in a home. It's a matter of working with them. And that's why things like the assertive community treatment That is your time. Thank you. All right, coincidentally, um, 
Alex Dutton was drawn randomly to be the primary recipient of this question, so she'll be speaking once again. Bryce Cassavan, I have you here randomly chosen for rebuttal. The question reads, in the year 2016, 914 British Columbians died of drug overdoses, an 80% increase over the previous year. What steps will your party take to address the fentanyl crisis in B.C., and to what extent will harm reduction play a role in this plan? You have two minutes. Harm reduction is absolutely the direction that we need to go first, and I fully support the initiatives of Minister Terry Lake on this issue. We called this what it is, which is a public health crisis. We were the first province to do so. The feds dragged their heels. The feds dragged their heels. They wouldn't approve supervised consumption sites. And so what did we do? We came up with the solution, and that solution uh, was to make sure that there were overdose prevention sites. That was the action that we could take. That's the action that we did take. And I would say that harm reduction is only part, excuse me, is the first line of defense. Education is certainly part of the equation. Prevention and abstinence is certainly part of the equation. And enforcement is part of the equation. But harm reduction, those who are vulnerable, those who are addicted must come first and their health must come first. Thank you. Bryce Casavan, 90-second rebuttal, please. The reason why we have this problem, the reason why we are seeing people dying in our streets, why families are without their children due to fentanyl overdose, is because of cuts, is because of public service cuts, it is because of social service cuts, it is because of a lack of investment into mental health and addiction services. This lack of funding is the root cause problem. This lack of providing the social services that are needed to the people of this province is the contributing factor to why we see these deaths in the streets. It's not about recognizing the problem after the fact, after we've had a few hundred children die. It's about dealing with it first. Not cutting our services till we find out, oh, how far can we go? It's about stopping and preventing these issues from happening in the first place. This party addressed, um, sorry, put forward a bill to ban the pill press, which is actually producing these fentanyl pills. Where's that bill today? Dead on the floor. It wasn't supported. And now we see the, the situation spiraling out of control. Still. Why? Why is a bill that really was, was nonpartisan, is there for the safety of our children and our society. Why is that bill not supported? It doesn't make sense. Come on. That is your time. Thank you. Alex Dutton, another 60-second chance for rebuttal. Contrary to your point, Mr. Casavan says it is the cuts. Also asking why this bill was not supported. Would you like a 60-second rebuttal? I could probably take 45. You can have 45. Go. Again, as we've covered earlier, social services in these areas have not been cut. But the second issue is I don't quite understand how Mr. Cassavant can suggest that the arrival of an opioid on the illegal drug market was related to decisions by the B.C. Liberal government. Obviously, no government is ever going to choose for a potent opioid like that to arrive on its streets and start damaging and killing its citizens. The arrival of fentanyl on the drug scene was unanticipated. And it was unanticipated by 
the Green Party, by the NDP, or by the EC Liberal government. And the BC Liberal government was the one who was in place to respond, and they responded appropriately. Well, there was a shout out there. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry? I'll take my 60 seconds, given that she mentioned the Green Party, seeing as we we all need to get our time, not just the... I will allow this. Thank you. 60 Um, seconds, and then Bryce Cassavant was also mentioned, so I will give... We have some spare time, so I'll give both of you 60 seconds. We budgeted for this to happen. So we we do have some time for the end. So I'm going to give you, Andrew Weaver, 60 seconds, and you, Bryce Cassavant, 60 seconds. Mr. Weaver, go. For the record, I support Bryce um, and the NDP bill brought in by Shane Simpson with respect to failed pressers. It is a problem. And actually, the Premier supports it, too. The Premier supported it and then blamed Trudeau for not bringing it in. She has the power to do it, but it's a matter of choices. And yes, I'm with Bryce on this. The problem is made in B.C. There's a fentanyl crisis across Canada, sure. But where is it amplified? In B.C. Why is it amplified in B.C.? Because we have had a disparity, a growing income disparity between those who have and those who haven't. Because we have a government that puts its decisions first and foremost for the ones that affect their corporate donors and not the people of B.C. And that leads to income income, uh, inequality. It leads to an out-of-control real estate sector, which is spilled over to Vancouver as people in Victoria, as people in Vancouver sell their homes and come to Victoria and spend a million and a half, what's that when you sold it for three million? And it's created a broad problem across our society. That income disparity is a direct consequence of the BC Liberals, and what is happening on our streets is a direct consequence of their, of their policies. That is 60 seconds. So I'm seconds. with Bryce on this, 100%. Bryce Cassavant, 60 seconds. Thank you, Andrew. I'm in a fortunate position to be able to answer this question from the experience, from actual policing experience with the military police and also working as a special provincial constable with the conservation officer service in our rural communities. We do have full policing powers in the province as well. The reason why, and I'll answer my colleague's question directly, the reason why we see opiates on our street is because of a provincial government's failure to act. And I don't say that lightly. I mean that. I mean that because, not, not, not because this is some pie-in-the-sky idea, but we have this thing. You might have heard of it. It's called the Constitution. And there is a constitutional division of powers which provides health services to the province and the responsibility of health services to the province. So when you fail to act in administering properly funded health services, you have situations like this. This is why we can't see cuts to our social services in this way in this manner, year after year after year, a decade, over a decade and a half now. Are you kidding me? No, we've gone too far. And it is time to bring it back to the people of this province and to start working for the people of this province in a fair and equitable manner that looks out for their best interests and the interests of our children. And that pill press should have been banned. And children's lives and people's lives would have been saved if it was banned. And we have a responsibility. That is time. We have a responsibility to each other, everyone in this room. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We we did it. We got through the focused question portion of the debate. We now have, um, for the remainder of our time, we are scheduled to be here until 8 o'clock. We have set aside time for each of the candidates to deliver five minutes uninterrupted closing remarks. Uh, We will also, after that, be asking for questions from the audience. So we have randomly selected the order in which candidates will deliver a five-minute segment for closing remarks. It will be Andrew Weaver, Alex Dutton, and then Bryce Cassavant. Andrew Weaver, you have five minutes. 
Thank you. Let me just, I uh, should have had my stopwatch ready here. Um, That's okay, I'll let you know. No, I want to let myself know, so I know <laughs> when to come down here. Five, not five hours, five, uh, whatever. Okay, <laughs> thanks again to the UVSS and the University of Victoria Political Science Students Society for putting this on. It's the first of a, a number of debates, and I do appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Um, you're going to hear a lot of things in the upcoming election. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of negativity. You're going to hear a lot on the doorstep about a vote for the Green is a vote for the Liberals, or the Liberals will say a vote for the Green is a vote for the NDP. You know, the reality is a vote for the Green is a vote for the Green, and it's uh, one of the things that I'm most proud of. The thing I'm singularly, singularly most proud of in the last election was not winning, was that we had the highest voter turnout in the province of British Columbia here in Oak Bay, Gordon Ed, with 70% of people actually voting. Six... We had 69% of people vote in Saanich North and the Islands, where Adam Olson came within 380 or 79 votes of winning. And it was a wonderful example of democracy in action. Three parties going out. The third highest riding in the province of British Columbia with voter turnout was Vicky Huntington, the independent member of Delta South. We know that people are turning off this election, that have been turning off of politics in BC. We know that the winner of the last election was not the BC Liberals. It was the non-voter, with 45% of people not even bothering to show up to put an X on the ballot. That is a sad testament of the state of our democracy that's been fed by the cynicism of the status quo in politics today. 45% didn't vote. The BC Liberals run a majority government. Frankly, it's an oligarchy, with only one or two running the show. With less than one in four registered voters in the province of British Columbia supporting them. It turns out that in this province, I know more about what's going on in BC politics, in BC Liberal government, than their own backbenchers. Because as, a, as an opposition MLA, I'm given a briefing. Their own MLAs don't know what the policies are being forward. And the official opposition, I have sat in the legislature for four years and watched them vote each and every time, together in unison. They have never, ever disagreed. Why do we need political parties? Why do we need? We only need four, vote, four people in the legislature now. The Liberals, give them two votes. Give them three. The NDP, Vicky Huntington, me. There's been four votes. Everything is together. And then Vicky Huntington and I, even the BC NDP and the BC Liberals, they all turn and face Vicky Huntington and me when there's a vote because they know we're going to vote on principle, not because we're told how to vote. We know, I have stood in the BC legislature when the BC NDP have stood up and voted against everything they believe in, solely because I brought it forward. That needs to change. And what I am so excited about is the quality of our candidates that we've brought forward. I challenge you to go home, and if you're not from this riding, look at the candidates. Our candidates are second to none. We've got PhD scientists, six of them actually. We've got doctors. We've got lawyers. We've got civil servants. We've got single moms. We've got people of diverse backgrounds. We've got architects. We've got a diverse array of individuals who are running not because they're career politicians, because they see what's happening in British Columbia and they don't like it. The BC NDP will say that they want a better BC. They're campaigning on a better being better than the BC Liberals. But let me tell you this. Being better than worst is still really bad. <laughs> what? What we need in BC, what we need in BC is a new vision, a vision that puts people's interests first. We've outlined some of that 
in our economic, new economy plan that we put forward today. And you'll see us roll that more and more out in the days ahead, whether it be in education, whether it be in forest policy, whether it be in health care, whether it be in whatever social services. You'll see us putting people first. Coming to big money, you've heard a lot about big money in politics. We know that, for example, the Kinder Morgan decision. How can you trust a government that's received millions of dollars from a sector that they're now supporting? How do you trust their decisions? You can't. But then we have another official opposition who say, we're going to ban big money in politics in BC if you elect us. And what did we say? We said, as a matter of principle, this is wrong. And so we banned the union and corporate donations to our party at a time when we had an uptick and in a week where we received a donation from a major multinational and two unions. We thought this was wrong and we took a risk. And in doing so, the donations to our party have exploded. We raised a quarter of a million from British Columbians in December and we've kept going ever since. We'll run a full slate of people. That is your time. Our sir. platform will be there for you and I look forward to your vote in May the 9th this year. Random draw. The next person to deliver their closing remarks, Alex Dutton, you have five minutes. Thank you. It's interesting to hear Mr. Weaver talk about cynicism. I have to tell you, over the last hour and a half, I have heard more negativity and more self-grandizing than I have heard in some time. I have to tell you that I was a bit cynical when I saw that 19 bills were tabled by the BC Green Party in this last session. And I was cynical because 19 bills is more than the 15 bills he presented over the prior four years. It sounds to me like someone's gearing up for an election. The cynicism that he is trying to portray, both of our party and the NDP, is unfounded. Everyone who participates in this election, and I know that not everyone in this room is going to vote for be the BC Liberals or vote for me, but everyone here is here because they believe what they're doing is helping British Columbians. We may not agree on what that looks like on the prioritization of how that money gets spent, but I do fundamentally believe that people who dedicate their lives to this do care. I have to say, and I'm pleased, I know this has been brought up a number of times, to have the opportunity to speak about corporate and union donations. This is about walking the walk, not just talking the talk. We know that Mr. Weaver has come out on his private Facebook page and solicited donations from all around the world in any amount and has recently banned corporate and union donations from the BC Green Party. That's fantastic, except the voters won't know who funded the Green Party until after the election. Why? Because the Green Party refuses to have transparency in who's voting for them. The BC NDP has said that they will ban corporate and union donations if they get elected, but they won't do so now because it's not the law. That's an example of not walking the walk. The BC Liberal government has told you that they will, and they have, provided you with information about who's donating to the party. And it's rubbing it in your face. And it's worth noting... Please don't interrupt. It's worth noting that if you go to those documents, transparently available, unlike the other two parties that are here, that individual donations out, uh, excuse me, outnumber corporate donations four to one. British Columbia has been well served the last 16 years. The economy has been diversified. Our trading partners have been diversified. We have weathered a global recession 
and we are weathering the challenge of a questionably uh, of a of a questionable president well and we will do that because of the strategic leadership and long-term vision the BC Liberal government has offered and that is why I am proud to run for the BC Liberal government Andrew Weaver, mention was made of your private Facebook page and donations. I will give you a 60-second rebuttal if you'd like one. Uh, sure, I'd love to. I'd love to address the individual donations to the BC Liberal Party, including those lobbyists who are now being investigated by the RCMP for not declaring that those individual donations... Those individual donations were made on, on behalf of clients who then they build subsequent in direct contravention of one of the very few laws we have in BC in terms of electoral financing, which is you cannot donate on behalf of someone else. So we'd like to get to the bottom of those numbers, and it would be wonderful Absolutely, to see. Absolutely, Mr. Weaver. And that's, I'm gl very glad that the RCMP have stepped in, and you'll know that, in fact, the BC Greens put out a press release on the weekend that Kathy Tomlinson exposed this, asking for an RCMP investigation of the BC Liberals, and also the NDP, because they also have pay-for-access events, but to a much lesser scale. Give that. To the, to the issue of my Facebook page, page, this is hilarious. My friends on my private page, my friends and relatives, literally, I asked them if they could donate. So I have a buddy who's a colleague of mine who donated a couple of hundred bucks. That is your I had a relative who donated a couple of hundred, kind of different from Kinder Morgan giving a couple of million bucks. <laughs> I don't want to get trapped in nested rebuttals to rebuttals, but I will give a further 60 seconds to Alex Dutton if she would like to respond to the RCMP statement. Is, is this, is, uh, let me ask the audience, to what extent do you think this is rather biased? In terms, I've, I've never seen anything like it. Excuse terms, me, Dr. Weaver. Well, you're giving always the rebuttal to the Liberals. Well, it's not to the other parties. No, I, I, would, I, would ask, I would ask Andrew Weaver to please consider that there might be one of these candidates who is the object of attack more often, and that's maybe why they get a chance to rebut more. I think what needs to be called out is what is happening, and I called it out, and I think see a lot of people nodding. And I do that on behalf of my friend here, Bryce Hutu, who may not be in the same position to do that. I I, 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 can, I can speak for myself. Yeah, I know, and you will, you will be me. given your time. You will be given your time. <laughs> Alex Dutton, I offered you 60 seconds. I'm not going to be intimidated into changing my mind. You may take 60 seconds. Three quick points. One, I think it's important the leader of a party or any MLA who's sitting doesn't do something different in private that he does in public. Two... Because of the BC Liberal transparency, you can go and look at the donations and see that Kinder Morgan has not, in fact, donated millions of dollars to the party, and I would encourage Mr. Weaver to do his homework. Three, the RCMP is investigating. Absolutely. They're investigating all three parties for this particular problem. But the problem is, the NDP, we don't know who's donated to them, so the problem isn't as readily available. I have. I would argue, and I continue to argue, and I challenge both the leader of the Green Party and the NDP to be transparent and honest with BC voters. They deserve at least that much. Bryce Cassavant, you can take all the time you want for your final <laughs> statement. 
I, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I had an idea of what I wanted to say. It's changed a little bit now. Well, let me, let me address the, the allegation uh, about 10 minutes ago there. Um, doing, doing better than the worst is still bad. I certainly hope that a party leader would still want to do better than the current government of the day. And I hope that wasn't a suggestion that you wouldn't do better. At any rate, the reason we vote together is because we vote for change. And we vote to build a better BC for all British Columbians. We have a collective voice, and that's important. That shows that we're ready to govern, that we're capable of governing, and we're capable of having a strong, resolute stand on issues that are important to the people of this province. That is why we vote together. My name is Bryce Cassavant, and I am asking for your vote. I have a lifetime of service behind me, and I'm running for this party because I believe that this party stands for change. I believe that many of the issues that we've discussed here tonight that are plaguing our society in this province can be addressed. And they can be addressed by a government that stands together, that works for the people, and that understands that progressive social change comes from political will and a collective strong voice in the House. It comes from listening to the people. It comes from listening to our academic communities. Not the wealthy, not just the well-connected, not the corporations, but the people of this province. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to listen to everyone. We're here to adopt progressive social change in bold platforms. We're ready to govern, and we're going to form government in May. And I'm looking for your vote so that I can help my party do that. I'm here to represent you, the people of this province. And I'm here to do that in a fair and equitable manner to care for our children and our children's future. Thank you. All right, that concludes the uh, prepared question portion of the debate, questions prepared by the University of Victoria Student Society. We do have 19 minutes left before the top of the hour. I would now like to open up to audience questions. If um, I'm not exactly sure how we're going to do this. I think what we're going to do is we're going to have our, our timekeeper right here uh, pick random people out of the audience, and they will get a chance to come up here one by one and ask a question. All three candidates will be given a chance to respond. The question asker will pick who the initial respondent is. Each candidate will be given one minute. Come on down. Yeah, you can come on right up here. You can use this microphone. Thank you. I'd like to direct my question to Ms. Dutton. Uh, throughout this debate, uh, Dr. Weaver and Mr. Cassavant have focused on student issues. However, 
Over the course of the debate, you've opposed a living minimum wage that serves university students. You've spent more time talking about seniors than you have about students. You haven't addressed the student housing crisis by talking about the possibility of having more rooms on campus. You've talked about more housing for seniors. You wavered on coming to this debate because it was a student debate. I would like to know when you and your party will put students, the future of this province first, instead of senior citizens and your corporate donors. Alex Dutton, I'm giving you 60 seconds. Thank you for your question. I certainly think that this community, and including people who may be senior citizens who are students here, want to have their voice heard as well as yours. I do believe that we need to address student housing. I never denied that that was actually an important issue. I said it wasn't the only issue. And I think affordability issues are facing not just students, but everybody in this community. Andrew Weaver, 60 seconds. Uh, I don't, uh, sorry, on this question? Uh, yeah, all, okay, all well, candidates you know, get a chance to respond. I can tell um, the, the uh, great question, and thank you for it. Look, I'll tell you why um, you're hearing the BC Liberals uh, catering, and this is what I did in all those classes that I've given at University of Victoria, and I tell the students this. I'd say, look, how many of you need hip or knee replacements? And I'd turn to the students, and nobody would say they need them. And I said, now if I go to a senior home, and I ask the same thing, most of the hands will go up. They've either had them or they want them. Now, the reason why I say that is we know that between 70 and 80 percent of people over the age of 65 vote, and we know that 18, between 30 and 40 percent of youth between the ages of 18 and 24 vote historically. So you wonder why the BC Liberals are catering to, to, to the senior demographic. It's because they know they vote. And that's why you're going to hear them campaigning on things like reducing waiting lists and surgical waiting lists and not student housing. That's why you need to get engaged. It doesn't matter which party you vote for. But if we get a high voter turnout in this election, if we get a 70 percent voter turnout in the province of British Columbia, I can tell you one thing, the BC Liberals will not be in government. Thank you. Bryce Casavan, 60 seconds. I respectfully disagree. It does matter what party you vote for. And it matters what party you vote for because you want to vote for a party that is capable and ready to govern that has a collective voice in the legislature and that can ab begin addressing these issues such as student housing. Thank you. I'm told that our next question cannot make it to the microphone, but that person will speak nice and loud, so hopefully we will hear them. I'm here tonight to ask the same question I asked in, well, 1996 and 2001 about Cadoral Bay. We have raw sewage running out on our beach every time it rains from the storm sewer. The loss of habitat for fish and wildlife along our inner tidal and foreshore has been increased significantly. And thirdly, derelict and abandoned boats still live on our shoreline. If you were elected, what would your plan be to resolve these issues? And thank you for your time and come to our cleanup on May 13th. Is that to, uh, to whom are you addressing your question, sir? Who would you like to answer first? Andrew Weaver. Is that uh, the chair of the Cabaret Bay Residents Association who just asked a question? John Rowan, 
Uh, okay, sorry. Um, it's a very good question. Now, we, I'm pleased to say that uh, the Oak Bay um, is now starting to go down a pathway. Uh, they've got approval from the ministry to separate the sewage on the upside of the roads. Uh, that, you know, again, a lot of this stuff happens beside, behind the scenes and, and doesn't make it to the front and centre. So what is happening in Oak Bay in, in, in the near term is that in the uplands where we have the storm drain being shared by two but, but for both sewage and storm drain, and overflows go on the beach. They're separating the storm drain from the sewage drain on the upside of the road, not yet the downside, which will actually do be a great uh, big alleviator of a lot of the overhaul, number one. Number two, with the derelict vessels. That's actually another good question. Saanich is an example of what works. There's been some problems in Oak Bay. Uh, there's been some jurisdictional finger-pointing. The reality is that, that there's three jurisdictions involved. In the water, it's DFO on land. It's, it's municipal. In the intertidal, it's provincial. What is needed is partnerships to work together because the federal government have dropped the ball. That is so your the time, BC sir. government is waiting for the Oak Bay to actually ask them to get involved. I met with the uh, BC government, and they have proactively contacted at Oak Bay and are going to remove those, those boats along Cabra Bay Beach. Thank you. Bryce Casaban, 60 seconds to respond. The issue of downloading provincial responsibilities to municipal governments has been happening for a long time, and especially on environmental issues like sewage and like these derelict vessels. I advocate for the province to be actively engaged with our municipal governments and providing funding for issues that are important as the, like very important and one of one of the things that um, is really important to me is the protection of our inshore areas that are affected by raw sewage and essentially litter like vessels and derelict vessels and the host of environmental issues that come with them so I would like to see more provincial funding in this area and support to our municipal governments. Thank you. Thank you. Alex Dutton, 60 seconds. First of all, thank you so much for the work that you do as a volunteer to help clean up Cadbro Bay. I, uh, I've, I agree with my colleagues. It's an important issue, obviously. It is a multi-jurisdictional mess. At this point, I actually want to see something get done, and that's sort of the difference, I think, between, uh, between myself and other candidates, is I'm a person of action. So I have already reached out to Minister Thompson, who's the minister responsible. I'm meeting with the mayor of Saanich soon. I have met with the, minister, or with the mayor of Oak Bay. It's time to stop finger-pointing, and it's time to start doing, and that is the direction that I would go. I think the other thing we need to do is not just look at derelict boats as they currently exist. I think we need to look potentially at solutions at the source when boats are first bought. We know that they're made of fiberglass. We know that that fiberglass has a life cycle. And we need to make sure that we're dealing with the problem before it becomes an issue. Do we have another person? Our next audience question. Go ahead. Speak up, please. And to whom are you addressing your question? Um, Who would you like to answer first? Um, you need me to mind more. Uh, Alex. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, please. Uh, about the um, in the before the federal election, our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, promised that he would, in uh, 2015, do the last federal election during the first time he posted it. He has failed his promise, clearly. Um, but it's not as much of an issue currently here in BC. I mean, we could change our provincial system. Um, which part of 
force a change from the first possible build system, and what system, if you do, what system would you prefer to change to? Thank you. Thank you. Alex Sutton, 60 seconds. The young poli-sci student in me just got really, really excited. Um, I have to say that I don't think there is appetite right now in British Columbia for a change in the electoral system. We had a citizens' assembly, which was a phenomenal response to a democratic process where the question was on the ballot, do you want this studied? It was a politically neutral organization. It came forward, it brought a question, and the people of British Columbia said no. And I would support that kind of process going forward again. It's equitable. It asks British Columbians what they want as opposed to one party imposing a system on the electorate. Bryce Casabin, 60 seconds. I think it's, it's a one-word answer. Referendum. It's time for a referendum on this issue on proportional representation. And we're going to let BC vote on it. And we're going to let BC vote on the issue of proportional representation. And we're going to have, have it solved in time for the 2021 provincial election. Thank you. Andrew Weaver, 60 Thank seconds. you. Uh, first off, uh, we did have two elections, and the first one actually was won. The first one, STV actually won, but the bar, bar was set very, very high, and it didn't win. So we would, what we would do is we have six guiding principles in the BC Green Party. One of them is, one of them is, uh, is um, participatory democracy. So we will introduce a form of proportional representation that will be devised through a bottom-up process. It will not be decreed from the party. It will be put forward by recommendations from arm's length organizations as to the recommendation we would do. Will we have a referendum before doing it? No. Will we have a referendum after the fact? Perhaps. What's important is people need to know what they're actually voting for. We know the track record of referenda. Vancouver's not getting transit. Not because the referendum was on transit, it was about management of translate. People vote no in referendums, but they often vote no as a, as a reaction. We actually had a yes vote to STV the first time it came around, and nearly a yes vote the second time. But the bar was not 50%. It was much, much higher than that. So, so we will introduce it. We will let British Columbia see seconds. how they like it, and maybe a referendum after the fact. All right, we have, uh, I think we're good. this is our last audience question. Go ahead. Good evening. Um, I'm representing the Graduate Student Society here at UVic, so I've got a kind of selfish, specific graduate student question. Um, I'd like to ask for the candidate's stance in relation to the BC Graduate Scholarship, a proposal that's been on the table for many, many years and is currently supported by the Research Universities Council of British Columbia, who are lobbying for a fund of upwards of 15 million. BC is the only large province to not have a provincial graduate scholarship. Graduate students are the primary researchers and teachers of most of the universities in BC, and graduate students contribute to the province, whether through research or by adding to the province's ability to innovate after graduation. So do the candidates recognize the importance of graduate students to the local economy, and would they back this call for a BC scholarship fund? Thank you. And who would you like to answer your question first? Alex Dunn, 60 seconds, please. Uh, thank you so much for your question. Absolutely, I recognize the value that graduate students offer not only their own institutions, but the economy in general. The intellectual property that is developed, the R&D, the journal articles that, uh, that we all have read and are learning from are incredibly valuable. 
I have to say I have not had this issue brought to my attention and would like to discuss it further with you once I've had the opportunity to take a look. Andrew Weaver, I'll give you one minute. Well, I find that very troubling because it's been a pervasive issue in British Columbia for a very, very long time. If you look at our platform today, you'll see it in there. You'll see it in 175 million over four years. And so the answer is yes. Um, and, and, well, you don't need more than a yes. It's in there. It's in our platform today. It's not called graduate fellowship. It's called something else, but it's there. It's there. And I am currently a doctoral candidate with Royal Roads University, so I do recognize the importance that um, postgraduate education plays in building a, a sustainable economy. And I think this goes back to our, our earlier discussion on student debt and the importance of reducing and or eliminating, uh, especially postgraduate student debt, so that they have... Graduates have the opportunity to enter the workforce and, and seek the jobs that they're looking for without this overhanging uh, debt and stress of, of these bills. So I think the issues are, are a little bit uh, combined, and I'm currently paying for, for tuition as well. So, yes, I, recogni I recognize the importance uh, of, of both these. Thank you. All right, that is just about all the time we have. We are set to wrap up at 8 o'clock. We've got five minutes left. I understand the University of Victoria Student Society would like to take a couple of minutes to give out some awards and also make some remarks. The candidates are free to stay at the front of the room if they'd like to, or perhaps you'd all like to take a bow now, whichever you prefer. Um, Andrew Weaver, I'm going to let you choose. Choose what? If you want to take a bow now or... No, okay. Okay. Andrew Weaver, thank you so much for thank being you. here tonight, sir, and taking part in the debate. We appreciate having you here. Bryce Casaban, thank, thank you. And Alice Dutton, thank you very much. And to all of you, I would just like to, to make a quick remark. The rules of the debate tonight regarding the rebuttals were set up in order to discourage personal attacks and attacks for party and encourage people to talk about themselves, their parties, and their platforms. I apply these rules to the best of my ability, and I hope that I served you well as an audience. Thank you. <laughs> And now a word from the University of Victoria Student Society. So thank you folks uh, so much for coming out. Uh, this event was planned in partnership with the UVSS and the political science students. We just have a few gifts for the candidates and for the moderators uh, to present. So I'll let Alexa, is, whose is this one for? And so again, a big round of applause for Andrew Weaver representing the Greens. A big round of applause for Bryce Casavance, representing the BC NDP. Perfect. And a big round of applause for Alex Sutton, representing the BC Liberals. And finally, one more for the lovely Adam Sterling for moderating our event tonight. And a big round of applause for Alex Lewis representing the undergraduates of political science today. Who, 
was smart enough to put the party colors in as the tissue. I, I was like, how the heck am I going to know which ones is which? Uh, so thank you folks so much for coming out to the, to the debate. We actually live streamed the whole debate uh, tonight, so feel free to go onto the University of Victoria Student Society Facebook page uh, to, to watch the debate again. Um, but thank you so much all for, for coming out uh, and enjoy the, the rest of your evening. Feel free to fill out a pledge form at the outside and remember to vote on May 9th. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs>